Well, it's another episode of Stick a Fork in It. Of course it is. That's why you're here. But I have a surprise for you, which is odd. <laughs> Matt Spence is back in the house. That's right. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> yeah. He found I tried us. five episodes all. in a row without me, but oh, I'm yeah. not. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> Clearly I am. <laughs> so not only does he, um, you know, run a lot of things at Feeding Tampa Bay, but he is a epic dad and he's been doing a lot of things. So that's why he's away. But while he, why he's, we insisted on him being here because our guest today is a very good friend of Matt. That's so right. he's really taking the lead today. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Matt, and you do the introductions. And I'm just hanging out. You may <laughs> have right. a few questions. Man with a much better beard than me. <laughs> and yeah. who's living the dream, running a social enterprise, which I love. You guys know I love yep. nonprofits helping themselves out by earning income to support their mission. Mr. John Dangler. John, how you doing today, buddy? I'm good, man. Appreciate y'all having me. Yeah. All right. So I have to start by saying... We should have done this a long time ago, mm-hmm. but you came out uh, to support our beer launch, which yeah. I really appreciated. That was fun. <laughs> Wasn't really some. a hard sell. No, it was not. Um, <laughs> but when you did, we got talking and Shannon was like, okay, you two need to be on a podcast together. So I think we have some pretty high expectations. Are you ready? I mean, they say expectations are premeditated resentment, oh. but um, <laughs> I like that. Well, we'll see I what like we can that. do. Ouch. We'll see what we can do. And hopefully I can... Live up to your expectations. <laughs> so, in the intro, I mentioned that you run a social enterprise, but that's really kind of secondary to the mission that you lead and serve. So, why don't you start there and tell us about the mission and how you got into this crazy nonprofit world? Well, yeah, I mean, I, how I got into it, I guess, back in the day. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stories I could tell, but I would just say one day connected with a dude that was living on the streets. Um, I actually went out with this church that went to this area of town that I didn't know and was in this alley and shared a plate of food with his brother. And very awkwardly, uh, I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to just kneel down here and talk to him and spent the evening talking to him. Um, Went home that night and just was wrecked by it. it was like man i think people do this kind of thing to feel good but i, d- I don't feel good at all um i actually uh, feel horrible like i that i live in a world where this beautiful brother is in an alley waiting on food and you know it's reeked of urine and you know uh, it was florida cold so like needed a, a blanket whatever but i come home and have a mattress and pillow and blanket and running water that heats up and a fridge and a car that i drove there in a roof over my head air conditioning um, and just really, I would say that that day, like what I've called the haunting began, just began to be haunted by these, um, faces and friends of folks. It began there. Uh, but then I just began, I don't know, talking folks into, uh, joining me in, um, mo- we moved into a very poor, uh, neighborhood to just try to befriend and learn from and walk with kind of the poor in that community. Um, and then you know, little by little through relationship and just making up excuses to be in relationship often is like food or clothes or something like that. Some basic concrete need that we can maybe go, Oh, we have a sandwich or we have this, that, or the other to share as a way to enter into relationship, have those kind of experiences. And then little by little, what started with just using our house, we actually opened our house up as like a, what we call like a house of hospitality for the poor. We would let people sleep there and come eat and come shower and whatever. 
did that for several years, but eventually, as you can imagine, the kind of the wheels came off of that. So like someone got stabbed in the kitchen, the house got broke into three times one month, the cars started disappearing, everyone's computers disappeared. We just considered all that like tuition uh, to the lessons we were learning. But like eventually, uh, one of the guys that lived there looked like he was having like a nervous breakdown. And I was like, I think I egged these dudes on a little too far because it was very come and die. Like we're just going to, you know, this right. is our, right. our version of, you know, opting out of the way the world works. We just want to aim at building a, a better a better world or enacting something we believe is a better um, reality. And, uh, and so we ended up, so the well, which is the nonprofit that we ended up founding, I was not looking to start an organization, but I needed to. Uh, because I needed to rent a building down the street from that house to, and what we ended up opening, what was originally known as the well was like a daytime drop-in center for the homeless. Um, at that location, the main offering of the room was just a big, uh, family room full of like leather sofas that leather so we could scrub them down at night for people mm -hmm. to come in and sleep and get out of the sun and just watch TV, you know, coffee float all the time. We had a shower folks could use and just kind of mimicking what we had done in our house at this place in what is now, well, it's Tampa Heights. It was always Tampa Heights. It's just changed tremendously there. Um, so we ran that in that location. Um, and it was very, um, it was not a social enterprise. It was just very clearly like food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothe to the naked. And eventually we did get a house that a couple formerly homeless men were able to live in. We still have, uh, well, they've moved, but have a place for some of those guys that have been with us a long time. Um, and then it, and just listening and walking with people say, people say, oh, I don't have work and I don't have food. Let's work together and grow some food. So we started a bunch of community gardens and folks said, man, there's opportunities or resources, but I can't get to them because Tampa's spread out. We need transportation. And so we started initially what, you know, we're at where we're at today is at well-built bikes, but that the proto well-built bikes you can see on some pictures up here, is these shipping containers we dropped behind the drop-in center. We called it the recycle bin, a bunch of broken bikes in there. Um, and just said, look, you got, let's, you could probably figure it out if you need a way to get around. And so we just, it wasn't like we had some big plan. Uh, we really, I would say got into this. The mission really was to just commit to walking with folks in our community that were in need, vulnerable, and that we felt like we needed right to learn from and to walk with and to hear from. And they kind of mentored and guided the way and said, bikes would be helpful. Gardens would be helpful some housing would be helpful. And then, and then what I realized was that under, under those concrete needs like food and clothes, there's deeper issues that are actually addressed with things like, like I think transportation gets it an ability to access a lot of things act, and lack of access, lack of ownership, things that underlie some of the, the more just basic, obvious concrete needs we see. So let me pause you yeah, right yeah, there yeah, that, for that'll be just enough of a second. That. No, no, no. We got a lot more of that coming because you're about to touch on something I think we'll spend a lot of time on. But what I want to say about how your story started and how the well started is one of my favorite origin stories, just because large nonprofits, you know, educational institutions, research institutions, government agencies are all in one way or another rethinking and putting fancy names on client centric services and yeah. the you know, listening to the voice of those we serve. And that's just what you did. That's who you are and how you started. And it's taken the quote unquote industry years to even start opening that door in a systematic way, in a systemic way. And one of the reasons I love your story, 
your, you know, the, the work that you and all the folks who work at the well or have walked through those doors, um, I, I love it because that was just who you are, right? That it is who you are and, and looking somebody in the eyes, sharing a meal with them and then meeting a need, right? That's pure version of what we seek to be and do as a nonprofit. Yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't looking to build an institution, like I said, and actually uh, was actively resisted it, right? That. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. And even now I'm nervous about it. Like, I'm like, because that I do think is often the way to go to go wrong, right? To start thinking about how this thing will survive rather than like prioritizing the individuals, the relationships, the neighbors. We start worrying about numbers and notches in our belt as opposed to like Fred and Magic and Mama. Right. And those need to be still in the front. But as long as the thing that we build is a tool to meet those needs or serve folks in our community or build bridges between disconnected people groups, that's still like something we're aiming at and wanting to do. And I actually think like the advantage of our story, like it's like great that it started that way, but it is great that it started that way because I actually think in what you're saying about big orgs, it's really hard to go the other way yes. uh, because you begin with distrust. You begin with the way it's always been done. You begin with uh, uh, profit loss sheets. You begin with liability. W to me, liability was laughable. I have nothing. So you can't like I would, I, the amount of things that I could do. In fact, I would call friends that worked with their social workers or they work with this or that institution. I say, whatever you're not allowed to do, just call me. I'll do it because I don't care. I don't have a, no one tells me what to do and I'm not going to not do something that's right because we're going to lose our tax exemption or we're going to lose our, you know, our bank account or our building or whatever. Now over time we've accumulated some of those things and I find those assets to be a little threatening to the virtue that should be at the steering wheel. Um, but you know, in the best we can, I think it's really important to, to be, I mean, from the beginning, I go, I don't want to live in a world that works this way. And to this day, I don't, I don't want our organization to live beyond the call that we've been given. And at some level, I think like the medicine that we all need to be able to take is being willing to let it die. So it's like, and, and, and you know, like, I'll just let it die. And, and like it, it, that sounds like a really reckless and foolish thing to say, but to me, it's like top of mind to go, well, if this tool isn't going to get you where you're aiming then we need to be able to let those things die. But we, we struggle with dying and letting things die. For sure. And, you know, the thing I love about that is you're growing begrudgingly into some of the things that you need. Yep. While we are working very hard to think and act the way you naturally live. And, and that's one of the things I love about Feeding Tampa Bay is we are working really hard to be eye to eye to our guests, to mm -hmm. our neighbors, to ask them what is going to bridge them or build a ladder to the next opportunity, what is going to move them forward to the place they want to be and not tell them, here's this thing we built for us that you need to go through to get where we want you to be. That's right. And, one, and, and that's why I think what's interesting, there's a million things that you all are able to accomplish that we can't based on size, reputation, history, uh, funds, all of those things and vice versa. Maybe we can get into places or relationships or conversations that are challenging to the institutional, like the icon or whatever. And I think that's why partnership between institution yes. and grassroots is so yes. powerful and important um, because we're actually built for different things. 
That's right. Mm-hmm. And and you can experiment in a way we can't, and we That's can right. experiment right. in a way you can't. Mm-hmm. Right. right. We can try things because we do have the size and scale and scope to Staffing. fail. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And right. You can stick your neck out there on something like opening a bike shop mm-hmm. that I can't even imagine what it would take for us to do, right? I I know that it's much smarter to say, "Hey, my buddy John has a bike shop. Feeding that's Tampa right. Bay doesn't need to have one because John has one and we know that everybody John sees and everybody we see struggles with transportation. Yeah. And if this can be a barrier breaker for even a small percentage of the folks that we serve, then it is well worthwhile for us to spend time in relationship and partnership. One of the top challenges for people seeking employment and education is access to reliable transportation. That's why Well-Built Bikes refurbishes donated bicycles and provides them to struggling community members. If you have an old or unused bike that you can donate to their cause, it could provide mobility and independence to someone who can't afford a car or a brand new bike of their own. Visit bikeshoptampa.com to learn more, or swing by the Well-Built Bike store in the University Mall on Fowler Avenue. I mean, I think about those relationships the same way I think about relationships. I mean, it's all just, to me, relationship is the work. That's right. right. Whether it's between orgs, between individuals, it's like all of this is about rela- like I think all of the things that are going wrong, even the hunger or homeless. It's like, you know, t- this isn't as true in Tampa today with empty houses. But historically, well, it's empty houses and then people with no houses. It's like there are resources and then there's needs. And a lot of times they're just not in relationship. They don't know one another's names. They don't have access to one another uh, personally or they're separated by all kinds of things that divide us right and i go the work really is putting relationship in right in the right place and function and prioritizing that because the fruit of relationship actually is where we meet one another's needs and uh and i actually think the needs that we see are are a fruit of relationships that just don't work like they should no doubt so tell us a little bit about you, know, you started down the, the road of, of recycle and then that turning into well-built bikes. Yeah. I would love to dive into that story a little more because it's fascinating to me. Yeah, so the recycle bin, like I said, was behind the drop-in center. We Nothing was ever bought or sold or whatever. But if you know Tampa Heights today, Tampa Heights uh, rapidly gentrified. As newer neighbors started moving in, fixing up, you know, once that turned 100 years old, they start fixing up their cute bungalows and forming neighborhood associations that don't want, I mean, frankly, don't want poor people around. So we don't like these, the dope boys. We don't like this music. We don't like the homeless people in the alley. We don't, you know, not in my backyard, moved into the neighborhood that had traditionally been home to these folks, right? And so little by little, they start, and we had Buckhorn as mayor at the time, so they would go to him, and the city's income comes from uh, property taxes, and they were like, we're gonna, and they did. There was police and code enforcement start coming down on organizations and people in the community. And I knew we were there for three years, but that last year we were there, it was like war. Like they were just, they, we were explicitly told, like we will find the codes you violate. We will, like you will not stay here. Well, we were also renters. So eventually they were able to lean on our landlord, which was like the final blow to us. And he's like, look, you're not my hill to die on. I love y'all. You should, but like I, they're, 
things are happening to him that like he needs to, to kind of work out in other building projects he has. Uh, it was kind of horrendous, but during that year, I started taking bikes. So I started, I had already been thinking social enterprise and trying to conceptualize. So we had started a lawn crew. We had started selling a little bit of food that we were growing out of like our aquaponics systems uh, to a local restaurant. And, but then the bikes, I found a nonprofit bike shop in another part of the country that I went and visited. And I did, I was like, you can sell donated bikes. And he's like, dude, you have to take the best of what you're getting, refurbish them as well as you can and sell them to fund and sustain this program. We'd never sold anything at that point. Um, so we experimented cause we were like, we're going, this place is going to shut down. Like we're, it, we're just holding on till the end of this lease. And so we started running pop-up shops and our first pop-up shop, we made like a thousand bucks and our second pop-up shop, we did like 1200 bucks. And I was like, I think we can make this work. Like convinced myself pretty quickly, people will buy bikes from us. And so then immediately started grabbing the name brand bikes out of the recycle bin. Like these are not for you to go get a job. We're going to sell these so we can get tools. And then, um, really, uh, conceptualized, uh, Webble bikes, uh, when we did close down and went into like hiding, we were actually in the same neighborhood with the same landlord who said, I have another building you move into for a year. If you promise never to open anything there, like they'll kill me if they know I did this, but like, right. just move in. We called it the bat cave. <laughs> so we moved in the bat cave. That's actually how our food distributions went mobile because people, we didn't have a place for people to come. So we started, a, so we do like 15 grocery distributions a month now and the kinship, which is our kind of mobile grocery that we run. So we started doing that immediately. Uh, not 15 at the time, but four probably initially. And then building bikes kind of in that warehouse and doing pop-up shops. But pretty quickly said, well, we had the rent we paid on that building and we figured out like we connected with University Mall and realized there's a lot of empty spaces up here and they're probably open to negotiate. Like it'd be cool if there was some life going on in here. Um, they agreed and uh, we came to a, a term that we could do and we we uh, in actually started building it out in mid 2017 but then on halloween 2017 they were doing trick-or-treating we were almost ready to open so we just threw the doors open to welcome kids that were trick-or-treating in the mall um and we've been open ever since um so this is our fifth year open now we opened halloween 2017 so how's it going it's going well, man. We're having a good time. So, uh, I mean, I always be like, well, we're still here. Um, <laughs> we, we, you know, the pandemic was really hard. He still uh, works in the lock. The, the pandemic was really tough in one way because, I mean, you're looking around the store now and there's bikes on the floor. But for the last two years, that was not the case because, like, you couldn't build or so the supply chain just collapsed and bikes became one of the most popular things on earth. So, like, we never closed. Um, we stayed open the whole time and our sales were like, it was just the best. I mean, honestly, it was like everybody wanted bikes. And so there would be a little line, nothing in the mall was open except for us in a pharmacy, but there'd be like a line around the corner. Well, one, cause everyone's six feet apart from each other. So it's not hard to form <laughs> a line big a line, longer. right? But like, but like, you know, and everyone's dragging in their old bikes. Cause it's like, and if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Like the gyms were closed. I need to work out. The kids are home from school. They need something to do. I need to get around and I'm not getting on the city. I'm not getting on heart or the bus line or anything like that yep. i can't take an uber and so for every reason bikes just became the top selling product almost globally mm. and so all the manufacturers sold out so we're just now picking up on supply chain uh, but even now we're in desperate need of kind of uh 
re- bikes to refurbish. So people that have an old bike in your garage, like please bring it by. We really need it. Quick um, formal plug. It, where can they go to drop off the bikes? Yeah, so we're at University Mall. Our store is just inside from the parking garage on the ground level. Um, the address is 12256 uh, University Mall Court. The GPS will just go, you're at the mall. Congratulations. <laughs> so we just inside from the ground level of the parking garage. I think they call that native advertising, right, Ev? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So please, if you do have bikes, yeah, bring them bring to John, them bring them to the team here at the well. This they is do a fantastic job of refurbishing, selling the ones they can sell, giving away the ones that they can give away. So tell us, you still have a couple of missions that go along with... Well, yeah. So the, so, you know, we were doing the this in the part. shipping container, right? And so we, we now to, to continue to meet those needs, cause we're, we're just selling the best of the bikes that we get. And that is all to, so all the services sales revenue goes into a couple programs, the earn a bike program. So folks that cannot, they do not have transportation. They don't have a car. They cannot afford to meet their needs, bike, bus, whatever. They can apply uh, through our website. It's a simple kind of Google form they fill out. They get put in a line or a queue. It's not very long. We keep up with it pretty well. And they can earn their bike through an investment in community service hours. We typically have them like work with one of our community gardens or you know, other food distributions or things that we do. They put in their hours as a way to pay for their bike. So they work... Uh, put in time to get their bike at the end of that program they get a bike uh, with a with a helmet a set of uh, they get a lock a set of lights um, while I have a few they might get a backpack a water bottle um, and we just get them and then we come in and the graduation is like an hour long kind of safety and maintenance training we do with them so they're set up to be commuters and kind of meet their own more basic needs to kind of get wherever they need to go um, I really like that because the bike just, you know, your first bike probably represented like freedom. Yeah. And that is in my mind, yeah. the opposite of poverty. Like freedom is the yes. opposite of poverty is like, I can now do whatever I need to do with this. So really love that. We, we, and so that's a big part of it. And then we also do our service, our kind of maintenance and service on sliding scale. So folks that come in that maybe are on the streets or just lack the funds can say, we're like, here's what the quote on that is. They go, here's what I can do. And then we'll work with them to kind of make sure that they get the repairs to keep the bike on the road. So every time my 10 year old destroys his bike, <laughs> I need to come here. That would be awesome. That yeah. would be awesome. Yeah. There you go. All right. Keep, keep us working. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he will. He would keep you in business for sure. <laughs> So now that you're up and running, you've been building this business for five years. Um, I want to zoom out a little mm-hmm. from from the John Dangler well-built bikes experience and just talk about social enterprise because you and I, I think, are of the same mind about this. Um, going back to the idea of freedom, right? Yep. Feeding Tampa Bay is dependent on government grants, on the yep. generosity of our community, and we would love to be more independent. And so we are building earned income here and there. And it will become a much bigger part of our future. But you're out front. You've been doing this for a while. You've always had this philosophy. Talk a little bit with us just in general about the importance of earned income for nonprofits. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's uh, the dependent pieces like crystal clear to me so like even early on you know we were doing just the we weren't making money we were just doing the drop-in center and kind of food to the hungry stuff and we raised money to do that that's actually why we started the orgs we need to rent a building and have a bank account all this stuff but i realized how i'll just tell you it bothered me tremendously a couple things um one i'm not very good at fundraising two i'm i'm really hated every time i bit my tongue 
on something that I felt like needed said because we needed funds. Like I, I actually, it kept me up at night. I was like, I, I'd rather die <laughs> than not say what needs to be said, you know? Right. And then, and then the other, and so there was like this weird, like political thing that played out where I go, I feel like I can't tell the truth because we need to raise money. And then I really didn't like the, like take pictures of things you do to like highlight it. Mm. Like I'm, you know, I'm a Jesus guy. Like I'm like, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. I was like, none of your business what we're doing over here, right? Like I, I just didn't like the need to, to, to tokenize the work or something like that. And so the combination of those things leads to, well, what if you could make your own? Mm. And then we have all these folks that are working. Cause when we ran that job in center, we started tossing folks the keys that became part of our community. Like they ran the bike shop, they made the coffee, they would open the building. And these, when I say they, I'm like, these are folks that lived on the streets or used our services, came in as a, as a guest and then became a team member. But it wasn't like I had the money to pay bills for everybody. They just, and they did it out of like, they wanted to take ownership of the work and ownership of the community and become leaders. That's beautiful. But over time, I'm like, yeah, but they still sleep outside. Like, and, and this is actually ugly. Just over a short period of time, I'm like, it's actually ugly. And I'll never raise enough money to meet these housing needs. I'll never raise enough money like to, to, the community should look out for these folks that are pouring themselves out for the community. And the only way we could do that is we got to, we got to create revenue. We got to learn to make some money. So it started, well, you guys can mow those. Let's got, let's take that lawnmower, start mowing yards. We try to sell some of these bikes. Let's sell some of that. Um, Produce. It was watercress that yeah. we were growing and selling right uh, out of the aquaponics thing. And with like, and, and then, I got a little taste of that and was like, oh, I like this. Like, <laughs> like, like, I think we could be good at this and it feels right. And actually if, if, you know, and, and then just at the big picture, I'm like, I just don't, you know, we have these two things we think about. We have like nonprofits that just raise money, but generally in this, you know, blanket kind of harsh thing is like, generally it's like, they don't, they're not good businesses. They don't, they don't sustain themselves right and bring in earned income or whatever and then on the flip side you have these businesses traditionally that are just not good neighbors they extract value from the community um we you know we have movies like the what is it the corporation that go these corporations are sociopathic and this is, now you can watch our culture is changing and going we are not going to put up with that and we're not going to yeah. buy from those businesses. And so businesses are now having to like look like a good neighbor <laughs> and at least at the very least greenwash their work and put a leaf on the thing. So it looks like they care about the planet or the people or something or the neighborhood or something like that. But that's like a shaping of things to come is that the market is going to demand that you are valuable in the community to be in the community, to work in the community. And on the flip side, I don't think there's anything sustainable about the representative panhandle panhandler thing of nonprofits where we just need to borrow all this film or raise all this philanthropic money, not even borrow, just have it so that we need it again next year and need it again next year. And that dependency on that side is both existentially dangerous to the actual mission and work. Yes. Um, but also I just think it's at risk economically in the trajectory of where things are going. So what I see happening is that these are going to merge and there won't be this distinction. Not the distinction may exist because of the IRS. That's like, to me, like that's beside the point what you report to the IRS, like uh, just, yeah, you'll fill out some paperwork and they may call that non or for profit, but you better be a good business and you better be a good neighbor that's ultimately. Right. And that's something I really believe in and go, well, why don't we just try to figure that out? And um, here's one of the beautiful things about that is that almost every interview, not even just the people that we've hired, but every interview I've been in in the last three years, if not longer, we've had to have that exact conversation because 
young people, young adults, mid-career people even are saying, what value are you adding? And we have board members who say they're getting the same questions at their bank, (laughs) at their accounting firm, Mm -hmm. at their, you know, car dealership. People are asking, what value are you putting back into this community? And so that mindset is shifting. It absolutely is. And as always, the people are ahead of the corporations, right? People are ahead of the businesses. People are ahead of the nonprofits. Well, the market's just going to lead that, right? It's just like, it's going to, it's being demanded and it's going to, you could just pay it. To me, it's like, if you go surfing, you just watch for the wave to come. You need to paddle ahead of it to catch it, right? It's like, the wave is very clearly moving. Yes. Um, the the con- Our consciousness, our, our, our culture, it's just shifting. And our institutions are, by design, by the way, bureaucracy slow. It's made to be stable, not nimble. Yes. And so... By design, it shouldn't be quick. It shouldn't be, a, you know, it's, institutions are not going to lead the way on anything ever. They can't. They're slow by right. design. They're a big machine. But that's so they're stable. But that, that, that but the, the, that slow kind of, t- I picture like a semi turning a corner rather than a sports car, but like that's more like the way it's going to go for the institution. But like you'll pay attention. They're all moving down this corner now. Yes. Who's always looking out for you into the final inning? Our hometown Tampa Bay Rays. Always standing firmly beside us on May 28th during the buzzworthy game against the New York Yankees, the Rays organization will be supporting cereal for summer. On game day, bring three or more boxes of cereal to donate at Lot 7 near Gate 1, and you'll be rewarded with two game vouchers. Enjoy the game and ending hunger box by box with the Tampa Bay Rays and Feeding Tampa Bay. The flip side of that, from the nonprofit perspective, is our question is always sustainability. If yep. we don't get that big fat check, how are we going to maintain supporting our mission? If we don't get the government grant that just started handing out money during COVID, how are we going to maintain our mission? And so sustainability is a really important question for a nonprofit because if I sit down at Trinity Cafe across the table from Frank, I can promise him a meal tomorrow because we're sustainable. I can promise him a meal the next day because we're stable. And I know Feeding Tampa Bay will be there for him through Trinity Cafe. Yeah. One of the interesting things I'll also say too is like the, the, I would say this is everywhere too, in whether social enterprise, institutional, individual, like we, we really think, and this may be a leap of a topic, but I feel like it's related is like, we're always thinking in terms of solution. And the reason that came to mind is like, um, metrics that are reported by nonprofits, right? Like, and you want to measure impact. You want to know that what you're doing matters or that there's something to show for it. However, there is a relational aspect that like, so I could tell you, but it's just when I took the, the snapshot of a story that like we had this dude that got out of prison and came and worked with us. And then he, we hired him and then he had, a, you know, got married and had a child and whatever, you know, it's like, and then, but like, then you could tell this amazing story and it's like, well, then he's back in prison. And then it's like stories go on over time. Right. And so for me, and this doesn't make great uh, fundraising letters, right? But it's like, <laughs> it's just committing to a people yeah. and their condition and their, and, and the pro like I've always said, like, just marry the problem, marry the situation, marry the people. Um, and then come what may, 
right? If nothing, you know, and I love the story of Mother Teresa being asked, like, you know, you've been in Calcutta for all these years and look around. It's just Calcutta still. Like, what's been the point? And to which I hear her response was, well, I was, wasn't called to success. I was called to faithfulness. Yes. That resonates deeply with me. Just to go, we stay come funding or not. We stay come solutions or not. We stay come you know, in church world conversions or not, we stay in, you know, it's like, it just doesn't matter if, if, if the, if the situation is unacceptable, then the only thing you can do is fight like hell to see the, the, the tides turn, right? Come what may. Exactly. I, I love that. I didn't know that this was going to turn into a mother Teresa <laughs> appreciation podcast, but it looks like it's going to, cause I'm going to share a second story from her that I think really drives me and gets me thinking about how we operate organizationally. She was having a conversation with one of the other nuns in, in her order. And that nun was saying, sister, I think, you know, we're, we commit to an hour of prayer every day as a group. And, and I just feel like we're not meeting enough of the needs outside and we need to reduce that. We need to spend that hour serving people. We need to spend that hour feeding people. We need to spend that hour doing better, doing more. Mm -hmm. And mother Teresa looked at her and said, I hear you. And I, I I agree that that's our situation. You know what we're going to do? We're going to spend two hours in prayer Hmm. because we need to do the interior work. We need to be committed to being the right people to meet those needs when we go out the door. And I, I love that because it's just a, it's, it's a reminder to me that I'm of no use to the people that we serve if I'm not right myself. And I think about that organizationally too. One of the things I love about that story, um, in part from like the prayer and the religious aspect of it or the spiritual aspect of it, although it is not apart from it, but like in, regardless of where people are at in, in their kind of faith journeys or whatever, it illustrates something important between, and I think this is part of just where we are in the world. So we're Westerner and we're post-modern, right? Post-modernity. And, and there's these two moments in history. So Western usually means like Hellenized, right? And in Greek philosophy, you had this like, you know, there's like a great way to illustrate is like Socrates would say like our souls are in prison in our body. And they had this, the world of like ideas and form. And so there's like, what is, let's say spiritual for lack of a better word, what is metaphysical is what really matters. And like the physical, the, the flesh, the, this thing that I can touch doesn't matter as much. In fact, it might even not be valuable in comparison. Then modernity would come along later and, and, and science, right? They go, no, what matters is what I can measure, what I can weigh, what I can touch, what I can feel. And, and, and that other stuff, that metaphysical, that's the world of gods and genies that doesn't, so there's this pendulum swing. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is we still maintain this kind of dualism. And so that story illustrates that it's like, well, we just need to do the physical. And actually this maps to debates that we have in social work, in churches, in culture is like what really matters. And the, and the reality is there's like this holistic view that like you aren't just you aren't just the sum of the the matter that you're made up of, right? There is something more to you. Um, and these are values, ideals, visions that we have. There is something metaphysically going on. 
um, that we aim at. And yet at the same time, we can't lose sight of people are hungry out here. I have a cut. My feet are blistered and worn. And like those two together are what make us human beings, right? Relationship is something that transcends those two individuals, right? It's like, it's so clear that that's the case. And that's something, maybe what I'm trying to say, which that doesn't make good fundraising letters, is like the prioritization of the thing that you can't count, mm. the qualitative nature of intimacy. Yep. Well, I can't, I can't measure that for you, and yet it somehow go, but I prioritize it, and, you know, that just is what it is. Well, and here's the beautiful thing about that, John. I think they do marry together, and I think the type of donors we want to be in partnership with see that. Because the number one thing that we would say about Trinity Cafe is not the number of meals we put on a table today, although it was 682. Just <laughs> <laughs> the number one thing we would say <laughs> is that we treated 682 people with dignity and worth and looked them in the eye and said, this is a place that's home for you and said to that individual, you matter beyond this meal. And that's why Trinity Cafe is the best. Mm -hmm. That's why I love that mission. And that's why Trinity Cafe becoming a part of Feeding Tampa Bay has changed Feeding Tampa Bay for the better. Yeah. Because it brought that metaphysical side, right? It brought that spiritual side in a new way. And I think it put a name to what so many people who work in this world couldn't define for themselves other than I want to be of service. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to make the world around me better. And it's because they see the dignity in the other and they don't see him as other. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the dignity piece, hopefully, right. It's all like, ultimately I go, our communal tombstone will read. They tried, mm-hmm. but that's good enough for me. Yep. Um, that's good enough. Right. We aim at that. Um, and we try, hopefully your experience with me was, uh, honoring to the, your human dignity, right? Hopefully those that came to serve, uh, didn't see other but brother right and yep. and like hopefully we moved more towards something unified like family than stranger and other and ultimately we just yeah we just try and iterate and learn um, but man isn't that fun like that's just like to me i'm like that's just the whole game and i hope it never i hope it never ends right this yep. is just something that is because what matters in it all is something like meaning it's just life is made more meaningful by taking seriously the condition and struggles in our own city. It's like, how else can we like really love this place, this dirt, this community, these people? Um, it's like, yeah, it's a way to fall in love, really. I think, and, you know, too, though, I, I just want to say, like, I, I think also that the more people are touched by it, like, the better chance it has. Because I think everybody who does get involved with stuff like that, you know, they come away with that meaning. And I think that it's kind of like that movie paid forward, you know, like, absolutely. like it, it is, you know, when you look at it, it's like this monumental, impossible goal. But like the more people that get involved with it, the more people that are touched by it, the more people who kind of see that there are people trying, the more faith they have that like, That's it. oh, man, there are people trying like I maybe should try, you know. Yep. Ripple. Right. I, I always, um, you know, would say that everything that we're doing is an excuse for relationship, right? Well, we could work on bikes. We can do something in the garden. We could share a meal. But really, it's just like a way to sit and do this. This will uh, podcast will be a fine excuse too. Um, and and but ultimately, it to me, it's a sleight of hand 
praying to recreate what happened to me when I left that alley, right? Because it's haunted me ever since. My entire sense of being has been changed, transformed by that. And I think that happens to someone who comes to receive uh, a meal um, and give wisdom and presence and someone who comes to give volunteer time or finance and receives uh, encounter and wisdom in the same way. And so like that, that is setting the table for some reciprocal um, and transformational kind of impact we have on each other in relationship. Right. right. Yeah. That's, I love, I love that perspective because to me, the heart of feeding Tampa Bay beyond the dignity of the meal that we put on the table is offering individuals a dignity of putting a meal on their own table and then sitting around that table and breaking bread with somebody they love. Yep. And, and that moment matters that the breaking of bread together is the most common best way to be in relationship with someone in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I don't think I've asked you this question before. I've, I think I've mentioned my answer to this, but uh, in Tim Ferriss's podcast, he has one of my favorite questions, which is if you had a billboard and you could put whatever you wanted on it that everybody in the world would see, what would you put on that billboard? And I'll give you a second to think about that because it's a big question because what I would put on it is a quote from the founder of another nonprofit that I know you and I both have a deep affinity for homeboy industries, Mm -hmm. which is there is no them and us. There's only us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other thing we drive to is that unity of there just being us and there being nobody outside of the circle. The number of things that are racing through my head. uh, And yet I don't know that I actually can give you a concise uh, answer to that. Um, you have a lot of little pithy sayings raising <laughs> yep. through my head. Um, and yet I feel like the thing that's emerging among them all is just, um, it, I, I feel like is uh, maybe a, a, a message from scripture, uh, which I think is just true and not just material, but is to remember the poor. Yeah, I, I really do. And yet I, I love the us and them. Right. And I have like 16 other things that ran through my head, some of which were quite profane, too. Um, but Those sometimes make the point that, better. That's, it's really they, hard they to really do. Stick, it's really hard to do. Stick yeah. an exclamation point on the end of it. I, so, okay. So the other thing is something like take responsibility. Hmm. Um, which I, in my mind, those are the same. Yep. Um, but that would be the other thing. Hmm. Take some responsibility. Well, and that's the... the backside of the coin of freedom right mm. it is what you do it is what you do with freedom that's right that's right yeah that's exactly right uh it's the freedom we, to we serve we, yeah we say we want freedom but it comes with responsibility yeah yeah i was just having lunch earlier today uh, without me without you <laughs> at I our saw your, i saw your little barbecue at, cup at our favorite barbecue place yeah. so not to rub that in but you just the whole time with your little sweaty glass over there <laughs> it's fine i'm fine <laughs> <laughs> with a new friend yeah. uh who's replaced john no i'm just kidding um dexter jackson who works for oh, okay. tampa housing authority and you know, we we had this awesome conversation breaking bread together, right? And and Dexter looked at me and he said, you know, we were talking about being coaches and, and mentoring youth and and he shared a story 
of, of a kid who wouldn't look him in the eye. And he said, I can't be in relationship with you if you can't look me in the eye. And I love that because I think sometimes we who have the ability to make change, we who have the polo with the organization's name on it, need to be better at looking people in the eye. Absolutely. By the way, for those listening that are in no situation like us, you're not with an organization and you're not with, you know, whatever, probably you find yourself at a red light once in a while and there's someone on the corner looking at you and um, we don't know what to do uh, and we don't have money or we do have money or whatever and the amount of friction and nervousness and we don't know what to do. Um, my advice would be uh, you you can look people in the eye and actually you would be blown away how diffusing to that anxiety and stress it is to just roll your window down and be like, it's hot as hell out here, ain't it? <laughs> uh, you want the rest of my water? And they'll be like, nah, bro, it's COVID, whatever. Like just, mm -hmm. But like to just say, what's up? I see you. And actually all of that weirdness around transactional goes away and you could just be human for a second and be like, what's up, brother? What's up, sister? It's hot as hell, man. I'm sorry you're out here, whatever. Maybe even not I'm sorry you're out here, not even like bringing pity or something into it just dialogue with neighbor and then the light turns green mm. and all of a sudden everybody involved was made better off because of that and i actually would say that's a good practice uh to do and i would tell you the same thing about a volunteer who walks into your organization or mm. somebody who wants to give you money it matters just as much to look them in the eye mm -hmm. that might seem a whole lot easier but if you can do that, you can do it to the brother who's got his cup out. Yeah. Asking for money. Yeah. Absolutely. So, John, now that we've solved all the world's problems. <laughs> I don't do solutions. That's true. And you know what's funny about that, John? I'll just jump in. <laughs> that we, uh, organizationally, at Feeding Tampa Bay right now, we're in the middle of a strategic planning process. And God, I wish I could join that. Go oh, <laughs> you are joining it. You oh, just yeah. don't know. Okay, it. good. Don't worry. I, I just haven't sent that email yet. Uh, but yeah, you're joining it. Um, beyond that, after you join us, um, one of the things that has been so challenging for these learning groups that we're doing right now, because it makes no sense to build a plan until we learn more deeply what our neighbors need. And so that's what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. we've, we've divided up categories and then we're, we're diving in really deeply into all sorts of different things. And the number one challenge for everybody who's been involved so far is that we all want to solve. We always want to jump right to solutions. And we've had to fight that off in every group, in every conversation and say, I don't want solutions. I want learning. It's, it's, a, real, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. It's a real problem in relationship too, because it turns people into projects. Have you been, did you have lunch with my wife while I was having lunch with Dexter? <laughs> no, but she's got quite the project with you. Yes, and for I, sure. And I affirm that project. For but, sure. like the <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, pro it's, very, it's very problematic and it's the constant threat and temptation of all of this and made most existentially necessary because of the funding model yeah it just is what it is and i'm like man then we need to we need to build some businesses we need to build some businesses because that is 
that model is actually set up to to dysfunction yep by design not by not by conspiracy not by some deviant actor just by design you have to take pictures of this you have to turn it into the you, you have to now you can do it the best way you can right you can be very vigilant uh, but uh, that the, the our mind goes to uh solutions and 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 thinking in terms of solutions instead of human beings um, actually moves towards something dehumanizing numbers over names and like it just is what it is yep um, it's not, it's not even like oh you're doing it wrong it just is what it is like the machine was built for something different and and here's you know we're gonna sidetrack ourselves yet again I think we're on branch like 17 <laughs> I'm good with that initial branch but that's always the best right um, I, you've mentioned a couple times the challenge of telling the story of your work as a way to support your work. And I'll tell you, organizationally, we really struggle with that at Feeding Tampa Bay, right? Because it just feels like we are using people who came to us with a need to meet our need instead of theirs. But what I'll tell you, we've found, and I'll tell you, know, five years ago, if you'd ask Thomas, he'd say, we're not doing that. We're not taking pictures of our clients and we're not telling their stories. We're going to say, this is what we do. Here are the numbers. Yep. <laughs> and, and what has happened instead... And it seems so simple, but to the point that we've been making all along, it, it really is the heart of it. A lot of our neighbors want to tell their story. Let them tell they their own damn story. Yeah, that's right. People to hear it. They want people to know their struggle. They want people to know that, you know, but for Fresh Force, Anthony wouldn't be a employable. Right. But now... He's huge. our best truck driver. It's huge. <laughs> you know, but for That's right. an intervention of a place like well-built. Well, and these things are definitely worth doing, worth supporting, and these stories are worth telling. Yes. Um, and that's right. There, and, 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 it, and interestingly, the move is, do you want to share? Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Because Allow. actually, people that find good news want to share good news. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they want everybody to know it. Right. And that's... That's the other thing is your success should be its own advertising. Mm. That's it. Right? If you are faithful to your mission, other people are going to be your advocates. You don't have to manufacture good news. The good news is getting shared. And I know we got a little religious in this conversation, but it makes me think of the woman at the well. Jesus, the, the oh, woman yeah. at the well. That's, Jesus, yeah. hey, it's the name of the place, right? That's probably <laughs> why it came to me. But there... There is this moment for the first part of Jesus's mission where he's just been teaching and doing things in silence. And it actually says, don't tell, right? Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. And then she gets healed and runs around and tells everybody she knows. And that's the moment the ministry goes public. That's the moment people start flocking. You know, um, so the well, that name actually does come from that story um not for exactly that reason and i actually think it's a terrible name because it's generic and everything's called <laughs> the well and like i actually don't care if anyone ever hears of the well but like well-built bikes well-fed community and not everything we do is called well something but like some of our other initiatives i really do hope are are known um the well it's irrelevant it's just the 501c3 behind it but it was named after that originally and the reason was in that story that you know 
Jesus asked this woman who's kind of there in the middle of the day or whatever at this well for a drink of water. And what yes. stood out to me in that is that he was thirsty and he asked her for something. Um, and then he gave her something. And that was this reciprocal exchange. And that actually is the story that we named ourselves after for that reason. Because we have to come hungry. We have to come thirsty. We, I actually do all of this in the most selfish posture possible. Because it's like, <laughs> no, this is for me. Like, yeah. I need these relationships. Because you're haunted. I'm lost without mm-hmm. it. I don't, know, I don't know which way is up without the word from the streets. And... So I need to figure a way in to these conversations and need to find these mentors. Mm, a sandwich, if that'll work, that'll work. If a bike will work, great. A garden, great. Whatever. Whatever, whatever will work to, to sit at the same table. And to bring it full circle, we were talking before we started recording about the people Jesus hung with. And I'm going to pull it out of the religious sense and go... Dave Matthews on you because he's got this song. My wife song. loves Dave Matthews. I've been to his shows many a times. <laughs> <laughs> we won't ask what you did there, but we'll just say he's got this song called The Christmas Song. And there's a line in it that just gets me every single time. And it says, gamblers and robbers, drinkers and jokers, all soul searchers, just like you and me. And it makes the point that the people that we surround ourselves with are all searching, right? Mm -hmm. We're searching organizationally. Those folks are searching for basic needs. How do we meet that need in each other? Well, what's so funny is I go, and what are we searching for? And I actually think the answer is each each other. other. (laughs) Well, John Dangler, I don't know if this is uh, just part 96 of the single conversation yeah. that, that we always have. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you being a guest, buddy. I love what you're doing here. I know there's a whole lot more of this story to be told. So yeah, keep no, up the good work, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. It was a good listen. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Beating Tampa Bay.